Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey there, folks. Just wanted to jump in real quick and give a shout out to one of our sponsors on this episode. And it is, once again, uh, from the good folks over at Arrow Video, and specifically their Blu-ray release of JD's Revenge. This is a 1970s exploitation movie. Uh, directed by Arthur Marks, who I'm not super familiar with. Uh, in fact, I, I don't think I know his work at all. But uh, I do know Louis Gossett Jr., who pops up in this movie. And, you know, I'm getting familiar more and more with the black exploitation genre, especially of that era, uh, which is just rife with so many like fun, great titles. So can't wait to dive into JD's Revenge. And thanks to Arrow Video and their awesome uh, work uh, with with these Blu-ray releases, I can do that in a really wonderful edition of this movie. So looking forward to catching up with that. We thank Arrow Video for their support of our podcast. Now back to the show. Like a moth to a flame burned by the fire My love is blind, can't you see my desire? That's the way love goes Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Bonoffin. Joe, uh, this episode is probably going to be, you know, we, we've been talking about it, I think, for a few weeks, the idea behind it. Um, I think it's evolving, mm-hmm. but the, uh, you know, the main idea that uh, I think we're really going to hinge on and that I'd, I'd love to, for you to expand on is this concept of uh, there are no heroes left. And uh, boy, with the... Uh, <laughs> The, the, the world, the, the way things are rapidly changing. Um, and of course, you know, this being a movie podcast, we're going to zero in on the movie world. Um, yeah, it's pretty fucking, uh, gnarly out there right now, but, uh, you know, hit me up with your thoughts, man. Like what was, what, what are you thinking in terms of this? No heroes left idea. Well, it struck me in one of the many times I've revisited, uh, the film lethal weapon, which is a, is a film in itself. You and I have discussed a lot. It's a, like franchise? No, let's not call it a franchise. It's a series we've discussed a lot. <laughs> and in fact, on one of our segments of Hold Up, we discussed the sequel for Lethal Weapon 2. But in rewatching the original 1987 Lethal Weapon, there's a scene where the villain, uh, while torturing Danny Glover's character, Roger Murtaugh, the villain says to him, Spare me, son. It's over. There's no more heroes left in the world. Just before. Martin Riggs played by Mel Gibson kicks in the door and then saves his friend. And it was like, it's a big iconic moment in that statement, that kind of bold statement of like, there's no more heroes left in the world. It really, it just kind of hung in the air. One of the last times I watched it and I thought about it, especially in regards to the fact that like, it's building this like iconic moment that like elicited cheers in one of the repertory screenings I saw. Nice. Building this iconic moment for uh, a character and an actor in a big moment. Um, but it's a, an actor who has fallen from grace largely. You know, he he did some incredibly kind of unforgivable things in a sort of drunken state 
uh, many years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's never really recovered. I mean, I think people are faulting <clears throat> Mel Gibson and the industry sort of enabling Mel Gibson because like he, he did some like pretty toxic, awful things, threatened his wife, said some horribly racist things, said some just overall xenophobic things, um, <clears throat> anti-Semitic things. And it was just like, it, it could all be sort of like wiped away with like, I was in a, a fugue state of, you know, like consumption, but it was just like people were, kind of rightfully feeling like how do we stand by this person anymore? How do we like prop this person up and celebrate their art? And like, that's an age old concern where it's like, how do you separate the art from the artist? Mm -hmm. So it's just like this loaded moment where it was like, here's that statement written by, you know, it's a Shane black line who's probably responsible for terrible shit too. Who knows? Can't really say, but like, uh, he, you know, there's no more heroes left in the world. Cue this big heroic moment with this person who now we now have this loaded, complicated relationship with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, cut to current day where popular entertainment is, you know, like argued over something as sort of beloved culturally as Star Wars as being sort of. Uh, divisive scene as like leftist propaganda and it's just like how we're in this like incredibly aggressively fragmented period of people who even seemingly agree with each other turning on each other but it just feels like no one sort of lines up and everyone in this sort of systematic shakeup like no one feels like one they have the answer and everyone feels like they're corrupt and awful and predatory, especially like in the wake of, you know, sort of enter- entertainment industry revelations about, you know, sexual harassment and just like overall kind of inappropriate behavior and menacing. And it's just like it's it's such a grim and like uh, like really downturning time you know (laughs) it is indeed man and i I just want to throw as you know a bit of uh just a bit of add-on to your mel mel gibson comment is like uh what's interesting now even more so than it was uh at the end of last year is that mel gibson kind of has recovered in a lot of ways his movie yeah. Hacksaw Ridge was up for a bunch of Oscars and won a few right. and he was up for best director. Um, additional side note, have you seen Hacksaw Ridge by any chance? Yeah, I did. I saw you, it in the theater. That's right. You told me. Okay. So uh, I actually, and I think I remember you uh, like liking it or don't let me speak for you, but I will say I recently caught up with it and I, I just don't get it as a movie. I think it's his worst movie that he's directed and I like him as a filmmaker. Um, I would actually watch the passion of the Christ over, over Hacksaw Ridge. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't speak for me in this regard because I did not like it. Okay. Um, okay. Sorry. I'm trying to think of what I may have like cited as like appreciating about it, but even I'm hard pressed for that at this point. Cause yeah. it's just like, it was a highlight reel of just like grisly imagery that just felt like, you know, it just the, the great, Saving Private Ryan's greatest hits kind of sloppily strung together with yep. uh, weird religious analogies and stuff like that. So, and I, a, yeah, it was, it was really uncomfortable. 
Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, because I, I, I think what I remembered is you had you had said like the battle scenes can be impressive in the way that they're, you know, and that's I think what I honestly think that's why he was nominated for best director is for like the two <clears throat> battle sequences in the movie, because the rest of it is just this like almost like soap operatic, like silly melodrama biopic story with um also a I think a terrible Andrew Garfield performance at the center. And he was nominated, I think. Um, anyway, this is all taste of course that we're talking about with this example. Um, but it does go to show that Mel Gibson in a relatively short amount of time has sort of re, uh, he's, he's sort of cleaned. He's, uh, he's sort of gone through the gauntlet and Hollywood accepted him. And they've done that before, you know, Oscar and, uh, the Oscars and just Hollywood as an industry has has taken back people that have done uh, awful things that we know about. You know, this is no nothing new, but I think what is new is that it might not be over for Mel Gibson. His uh, clean image or clean image, his his uh, sort of resuscitated image might have to go through the gauntlet again, and it might be a lot worse this time because of the uh, almost daily deluge of like. Uh, who is being cited now as uh, a, a sexual predator, a rapist, uh, anything, you know, you go down the line of the really famous people right now. Harvey Weinstein was the opening of the floodgates and Kevin Spacey's come up, Brett Ratner. Um, there's a lot of others, but probably the most recent right now is the Louis CK uh, uh, revelations. And, you know, that has been going around for years. You know, if you, if you, if you get off the mainstream media sort of realm, th- these stories about Louis CK have been going on for a long time. Um, and it's just, it's another, it's a, it's, it's unfortunate, right? Because you and I have really admired Louis CK's comedy. His show Louis has, I think one of the most innovative TV comedies of all time. Yeah. And I, and he's responsible for so much good as an artist, but now, um, I feel in this last year, things personally for me have like really evolved in that sense of like, I used to just have a really hard line of you got to separate the art from the artist. I'm pretty sure you and I have had versions of this conversation for years on this podcast. And, um, I just think I've had to, I've had to evolve that idea because now I can't separate. I, I, these things come out and I don't want to dismiss Louis C.K.'s art. I still admire his show. His his comedy specials are great. Uh, I'm not going to dismiss them. I'm not going to ignore them from history. Um, but it is really interesting that at this point, when these things came out about Louis C.K., he has a new movie that is now officially going to disappear, essentially. Yeah. Um, I Love You, Daddy. And I think for if there's any way you and I have the means to see this movie, I think we have to talk about it for the reasons I think we're going to discuss on this episode, what we're talking about right now, but also because like it's now going to become a, a if I can look at it as clinically as possible right now is like it's a fascinating historical object already. This film that hasn't even come out and won't come out. Um, and I just think there's so much going on there that I hope you and I find a way to be able to see this movie. Uh, so we can discuss it, but more than anything, it's just more proof that like, it's as like, there's no more heroes left. It can, it can feel that way so easily, like in life and in the movie world. Right. Yeah. I think that like, it, it's especially difficult with an artist like Louis CK, just because like 
the idea is that so much of himself is in his art and so much of it's in his comedy and it's so like kind of raw and kind of autobiographical. And as much as he's absurd in his standup, like he's like revealing himself and like he's, he said some incredibly kind of like feminist statements in some, like of of Mm -hmm. course he makes just as many dick jokes, but like he's, he's made some kind of like, uh, like some statements that have, have definitely propped women up and exposed how like repulsive and repugnant, toxic masculine behavior is. Um, and so to reconcile what he's responsible for with like what you kind of appreciate in his art, like that's frictional and incredibly difficult mm-hmm. now. And so it's like as, as much as like you you do want to separate the art from the artist. And I had a conversation with a programmer in town <clears throat> who uh, we were talking about Steven Seagal and how like uh, it was like, nah, I mean, allegations have come out about Steven Seagal. Holy <laughs> shit. I didn't know that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I think like, what you're talking about with the, the deluge is yeah. that it's it's really difficult to start to like distinguish everything. But like mm-hmm. he seems just like a, a overall kind of just sleaze and like i think part of the fascination with steven seagal is that like there is something kind of unlikable about him so like how did he become uh, a star and like an mm. actor and like when he he is essentially if you could reframe it like he seems almost like the villain in every movie but anyway <laughs> like we we're talking about how, like how do you program like a steven seagal marathon again because they had one of those a few years ago here in los angeles and, it, you know, we talked about how, like, it seems a little loaded right now just with how, like, just the allegations pouring out and, like, how do you prop up, even if you're you're doing it with a kind of sober-eyed look at somebody and how problematic their image might be, it still is kind of celebrating a personality who <clears throat> might be kind of, you know, toxic at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> but basically the programmer stance was that like, you should be able to look at anything by anybody, you know, and, but in a culture that's like constantly heroizing and celebrating or attempting to do so, you know, in the midst of, uh, like such a intense self-reflexive period and shakeup, you know, like as, as kind of overwhelming as this all seems right now, like, the hope is that this will initiate genuine change, you know, and like this, this I think it already has. Yeah. I think, I think now it, it, as much as like the industry benefited from like silencing people, marginalizing people, like Mm -hmm. now it's just like, now there's enough of a shift culturally that it's just like, there is no benefit in sheltering this behavior anymore. There is no benefit to protecting predators, you know, like, and because people hopefully will no longer stand for it when they see what's at stake with who has become the highest level of power in this country, when like their allegations, their like, you know, when hit, when the president's allegations came to light and, uh, not only was he not reprimanded for it, he was, he was like elevated. Yep. He was rewarded with a presidency. It's just like when we see that that's possible, there is a terrifying regression that is like underway. And so it's just like there's everybody looks to their own communities and their own industries and they realize like, OK, we have to clean house. We have yep. to gut 
And like, that's, that's the only, that's the only like hope is, is that like that change will be lasting. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. And so those like, so now we look at like the models of like, what have we celebrated through the decades in terms of like, cause there was like for, for you and I, like growing up, we had, you know, like action heroes and it's just like, now we sort of look at those models of like macho masculinity and you're like, what, what are those like mean anymore? Oftentimes they were just like symbols of jingoism that was just like, you know, like the Rambos and people, you know, like <laughs> what initially started off with Sylvester Stallone in first blood as like what felt like a, a sober Bruce Springsteen album then got turned <laughs> into just like America wiping out all the sort of evil that was opposing us, you know, yeah. evil in quotes. Um, <laughs> And so it's just like it's it's an interesting period that we like we don't have these things that we cling to, you know, the safety of these like hero figures. And I think like when you and I started talking about this po- episode as a possibility, it was more that like that type of character and that type of actor or actress doesn't exist anymore. And like there's a sorrow in that, but then like the larger picture is that like well like everything feels like it's crumbling. So who rises from that? Who, who are, who is the embodiment of like, what is like a fight in us anymore? You know what I mean? Yeah. Heroism was just such a simple thing before. Right. And now like everything else, it's complicated. And I think a good aspect of that and something that I've come to appreciate as I've evolved my philosophy of examining art and movies specifically to adjust to these changing times. The good thing about that is, yes, when things get more complex or, or complicated, it's it can be like draining mentally, physically for humans to kind of deal with that. Because I think, you know, by nature, we're like we're animals <clears throat> of routine and, you know, these things, it, it sort of breaks with our the way we're hardwired. But I think what's so good Mm -hmm. about that is you can feel like it's for one, it's like, uh, what is it in the matrix? Do you, it's like taking the red pill or whatever. It's like, you got to open your mind to the reality of this. And that the reality has always life has always been complicated and in all these shades of gray. And, um, I just think that's, that's a good thing. And I, uh, as you were talking about, you know, uh, president Trump, like in a sense being rewarded for his bad behavior as or he just has like all, all of his potential repercussions were sidelined. Yep, like it was yep. ignored largely, you know, that, that, you know, I mentioned Harvey Weinstein was the sort of Hollywood floodgate being opened. I mean, but really if we go back to it, it's, it's November of 2016, Trump winning the presidency. The only, I think positive ripple effect that will happen from him being in office is this, that people are like, that's it. Uh, you know, they literally have woken up to this like reality that this is bad news that this guy won something. He's in a seat of power. He represents us. It's embarrassing to all of us. You know, he embarrasses himself, but worse, he embarrasses us. Like that's, that was the real opening of the floodgates. And I think that that we're not going to know how deep it's going to go, how positive it will be in the end. But I think this is going to be one of those pendulum swings the other way. That's just a good swing the other direction. I'm not, uh, I've spoken before that I'm not all for being on one side hard to the other. Like extremism is just, I think dangerous territory, 
but uh, an extremist switch like this or a swing back is a is a good thing because it's I it's the only way I see things getting more balanced, and that probably will never happen. Uh, but it's the only way to have progress and. Um, it's, it's interesting as you were saying that like there was a business interest for the last hundred plus years in Hollywood to silence the people that have been fucked over and prop up, uh, the, the bad folks that have continued to still make money for them. The Mm -hmm. it's, it's unfortunate that it's such, it boils down to the thing that we all kind of know inherently it's about is it's a cynical thing. It's the bottom line. It's money, right? But that's how you affect real change. And I think that's what we're seeing, right? Because um, look at it like uh, uh, we both live in states that have legalized marijuana. Why has that been allowed to happen recently? Because even the conservatives or people in power that think it's awful have seen that you can Mm -hmm. actually make a lot of money from it. And that's then it allows the real beneficial or the non-harmful aspects of something like that to 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 evolve, to become legal. And it's. It's like, that's how change happens, right? You have to go to the money and it's a cynical reality. But if we look at it that way, like it is the reality now it's good. It's now it's good business to, to get rid of, to clean house, as you said. And I I wish it didn't have to be that way. But in the end, I think this is a just, the ends justify the means. I think in this case. Yeah. Like the, the shakeup clearly is like the, you know, as, as much as like there is genuinely good journalism coming out of it, like people breaking yep. stories that need to be broken, like there is a vested interest in like the like that this is this is a, an int- attention grabbing thing. And yep. so there there is money in it. However, the good from that is that it's an attention grabbing thing because people want genuine change implemented and that's going to require vigilance on the part of everybody, you know, and like it's, there's, there's, you know, a fight, a fight to be had. So, uh, you know, we we need heroes nowadays. We do. Yeah. And you know, I want, I want to bring up a hero from a movie recently that I, uh, watched because this is my kind of hero for, especially, you know, for right now, it couldn't be better timed, but any year I were to see this documentary, this, the person it follows would be a hero instantly. I don't know how anybody could watch this movie and it's, it's called Jane. It's a documentary by Brett Morgan, who has really, in my opinion, like landed on something quite, um, exciting as a documentary filmmaker. He made, uh, the kid stays in the picture and Kurt Cobain montage of heck he's he's about zeroing in on these famous people you know in in pop culture and uh bringing their stories to life in the least dryly documentary fashion he's all about creating cinema out of creating art out of nonfiction. and um I gotta tell you man Jane uh which follows it's the story of Jane Goodall who uh you know studied chimpanzees in the wild I I believe she started in the late 50s or early 60s and still continuing it to this day this is this is about as beautiful an art like piece of art to tell this woman's story as as it could be um it is a stunning movie uh, and I really, the, the, the feeling I had when I finished watching it was like, this is just going to be hyperbolic. So I'm going to put it out there, but I really believe this is like, she's my wonder woman for this year. Like a lot of people have really gravitated towards the wonder woman movie that came out in the summer. I'm, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. It's a positive thing that that was a big hit. 
Um, but as we talked, I think we talked about the movie uh, at some point in the summer on the podcast. Like to me, it's just an okay movie. It's it's actually just an okay origin story with a great lead actor. And they pulled it off, and it's a positive thing because it'll lead to more opportunities, all that good stuff. But when I get down to it, Wonder Woman's not that good of a movie, in my opinion. Jane is the real deal. This is a this is a woman who, in real life, did amazing things. And um, uh, yeah, she Jane Goodall is my hero for for movies in 2017. And it's it's at least one place we can point to where you and I can say, um, and I hope you see it, Joe. I, I I'm not I don't try to pressure you too often to see movies. Um, but I, I'd love it if you saw this because I just think like it's such a beautiful film, but it's like a positive thing at the same time. And uh, it felt really good to go through that. That's good. There's, there's few glimmers of hope and, and light anymore, it feels like. Yep. But, hmm? We need them. Yeah, we need um, Well, it's, it, yeah, you brought up Wonder Woman as an example because it, it felt like there there are examples of like films coming out that like – they're they're needed they're needed as examples of like diversity and like mm-hmm. opportunity and like as as much as those are crucial in in terms of like elevating an art form like you 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 also want to be kind of like uh sub, you want to be subjective about like is the does, does the work rise to the level of the sort of idealism that puts it in place and sort of puts it in the popular consciousness mm. you know so for a movie like wonder woman that like a lot of people it felt like you know what what was very necessary like we needed a powerful like woman iconic character at this moment in this moment of sort of like like horrific ignorance sort of like being very outspoken right now in terms of just like misogyny and just like every ill kind of being sort of welcomed back, not welcomed back, but sort of like urging itself back into, you know, the conversation, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just felt like we needed some, some iconic female character. Mm-hmm. And like, as much as that, idealism has to be reconciled with like the quality of the actual work. Like, you know, it hopefully that level of like variety will continue and like the films will rise to the occasion, but like, you know, popular kind of big blockbuster entertainment has like you and I have had like gripes with that. It's just gotten, it's gotten so like broad and kind of uh, like the, the level of, of like disengagement in terms of like this, the storytelling, not feeling intimate or, you know, just like approachable. It's just like green screen to death and feeling so like there's just no access point to like what made things larger than life. You know, when, when we sort of got into film, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Like, hopefully with this kind of like wrecking ball feeling right now, there will be like big chances taken in terms of like introducing these things that feel kind of like the, you know, I mean, ultimately it is entertainment, right? But it are, they are kind of like, they breathe life into people and they give us respite and they recharge us in order for the, the actual day to day fights that people have to be engaged in. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's one and, of the reasons. Uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 please, please go ahead. Um, it's one of the reasons, uh, and I'm bringing this up because it occurs to me based on what you were just saying. But uh, also, we never 
had an official review of Dunkirk on the podcast, uh, the Christopher Nolan movie. That's, you know, yes, I'm in the bag for this director. Uh, we've had the Nolan jar since I think the, in, the inception of this show. Joe, did you like that? Um, uh, I didn't. <laughs> I have, there's the question. Yeah, nice. Um, we we've had it's been a running joke with us that I am just in the bag for this director, but um, Dunkirk is another reason it stands out so much. In this past summer, is that it was the it it looked because Nolan avoids that green screen effect that overuse of CGI. He certainly uses CGI, but like he tries to do everything in camera as much as possible. And it's, it's crazy now how at this point, his movies just look so different than anything else that came out in the summer. Wonder woman was a huge hit, but like, it looked like all the other comic book movies. It looked like all the other kind of big budget bullshit. And that's something we've complained about for a while, right? All these movies are starting to become, it's the monoculture in summer movies that we're seeing. They all look the same. All the effects are done the same way, but with Dunkirk, you get something that feels real and it's visceral. And not only is it maybe admittedly a bit of a nostalgia hit for you and I to be like, yeah, you remember when movies were made like this, like they flew planes and they were on ships and there's no green screen. That's all great. But another element of Dunkirk that's just worth championing. And I think is so special about it is that it overall for a movie with almost no character work or anything like that, the themes run really strong in it. And that theme at the end that it's like through your sort of like most embarrassing, uh, worst defeat, you can actually come out stronger in the end and keep the fight going. And then in the end, we know the war turns to a more positive effect. Like the knowledge we have of that history of that real moment, like it means something to watch these people survive in this movie and come out the other end covered in oil and blood and dirt and, you know, chilled to the bone because they've been swimming in cold water. Like you, there, there's meaning in watching people go through that. And it's why I find that movie just so beautiful. I, I can't think um, the only other Nolan movie that's made me cry was interstellar. So he must be onto something recently with me, but Dunkirk surprisingly chokes me up at the last, every time I saw it three times this year, that final, oh. yeah, man, that final, it's the moment when Tom Hardy has no more gas left in his plane and there's an image of him floating across the beach. You, do you know the, the moment I'm talking about near the end? Yeah. That's my favorite image of a movie this year. But also it, the music becomes like it swings into a sort of softer tangerine dream type score. It's like so beautiful. It, it's, it, it chokes me up every time. It was like the movie is such an overwhelming experience. But yet there's a lot going on underneath to what it means. It's not just visceral experience. He gave me more, and I loved what it, – it's crazy how of the moment that turned out to be for Dunkirk. And it's something I think we need we need right now. And um, it's why I love Dunkirk so much. You know, yeah, I'm in the bag for that guy. But he gave us something that we needed, and he delivered it in a somewhat old-fashioned package, but still modern enough to capture audiences' attention. And not many other filmmakers are doing that right, right now at all. Yeah, I think that like what, you know, I mean, obviously Dunkirk is like it's a it's a spectacle. It's a war movie. It's a period piece. It's not like a conventional action movie. And it, cert- it certainly like doesn't it has like a, a, a cast of like 
characters that like you know there's no central character really it's just like it's a it's an ensemble and like everybody's in the struggle together but like people you know in such like like turbulent times that we're in right now people need to identify with something not necessarily aspirational but something that like kind of identifies and locates you know, this like this struggle that people are going through and, and this drama that people are constantly grappling with. And I think oftentimes, you know, like the the bottom line of people, people also in times of like upset and turbulence and chaos, they just want to be comforted. And so like the action right. movies, the sort of like spectacle movies that people are gravitating towards are the ones that they've known you know, if it's not for like the last 10 plus years, it's for the last 40 years with the Star Wars franchises and stuff like that. And as much as Marvel and Star Wars implements kind of like exciting, you know, left leaning ideology, there is something kind of safe and sort of impenetrably safe about it. And uh, and, th- and I think that's what people love about it but i think ultimately there there does need to be something that grapples with something harder and that does leave something kind of unresolved and like that's what you know i i think some of the more kind of uh difficult movies this year mm. like you know i saw a good time shortly after dunkirk and like yeah. the Safety brother the safety brothers were talking about how like i've heard that uh dunkirk and good time actually makes a good double feature if you can have xanax <laughs> afterwards and uh <laughs> Because they are like very visceral, kind of mm-hmm. dizzying experiences, and they're 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 exhausting. But um, you know, like what what good time does is like it puts you into the perspective of like it it, it puts you into a, a hero's perspective of someone doing terrible things, and like if that's not a sort of model of the nightmare we can't seem to wake up from right now. Where it's just like, here's someone who th- who's convinced they're doing the right thing by way of like for the American people, but they're plunging us into something horrific, you know, and and so like grappling with something true, I think is is something that like, movies at their best, you know, like they 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 deliver for you, mm-hmm. and you know, like when people want the sort of larger than life kind of escapist experience with hero movies um i think that there's a possibility that you you can have both you can have escapism and you can have grappling with something true and confrontational and difficult and i think that like for until uh that that materializes into sort of like bigger movies down the line that are tackling huge difficult questions like you are going to see it on the fringes for a while you know you are going to see it in movies like good time and like dunkirk is not a fringe movie by any stretch <laughs> but like uh in fact i got a promotional hat when i went to go see it oh. I who else is passing out promotional hats eric you are welcome to have it too because i have not worn it once but um <laughs> but yeah they're you know so to kind of circle back to like the initial genesis of this discussion which yes. was uh spare me son it's over there's no more heroes left you know like the the there is something nostalgic about you and i thinking about heroic actors you know heroic characters and how you know by and large they've become very generic nowadays 
And so, you know, like thinking about the era of like the 1980s and 90s with the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the Sylvester Stallones, the Jean-Claude Van Dams and the, you know, unfortunately villainous Steven Seagal's, you know, like their Beyond Fest happened in October here in Los Angeles. And they're like it had a giant action movie lean this time when mm-hmm. normally it sort of leans horror movie. And now it was like they had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger double feature that he appeared at and like that sold out instantaneously. They had a Jean-Claude Van Damme appearance. And so like it's obviously tapping into something that, you know, is active and sort of kind of missing from the sort of general conversation. We don't have that type of identification with a larger than life character. And like I think that that can be okay. I think Mm -hmm. that that heroizing leads to you know, uh, an industry that props people up and does lead to this kind of, uh, inaccessibility in terms of like, they, they don't want to be held. They don't want those people to be held accountable to like, you know, humanistic things. And so it's just like, I think it's okay that we don't prop people up the way we did, but at the same time, like we're there, there is some sort of, there is something missing. And so like, maybe something will fill that void. Maybe, you know, the Marvel movie, Marvel movies to me, like, I just don't go to them anymore because, like, I know my peak experience with them is still just kind of, eh, yeah, it was good. But, like, at their best. But you get a filmmaker like Ryan Coogler, who, like, mm. I love his work. And he's directing the Black Panther, which is, like, uh, like a black actor ensemble. It's, like, fiercely black power driven, like, I couldn't be more on board. And so it's just like maybe in this like shakeup in this time where there is a sort of absence of like in real life, genuine heroes and like, and in fictional life, there doesn't seem to be the same kind of icon status as there once was like maybe something else will replace it. That will be just as sort of vibrant and just as sort of rewarding and nourishing mm-hmm. uh, until then you know, like the sort of the sort of nostalgic hit we get from that type of experience has, you know, largely been relegated to uh, video on demand movies. So it's just like, <laughs> and like that doesn't as much as like you and I grew up in an era of video stores where like, you know, you probably grew up renting action movies like on video and like that's where you experience them the most, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. video and cable. Um, with, I don't who's, who's your person? Who's your, who's your go-to action personality? Oh, I, I think you know this already. It's, it's the one and only Arnold Schwarzenegger. Come on, man. There's nobody better, right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's boring, of, but he is, yeah. He's what? He, it's boring, but like he's, he was the best. He's still, I that's, mean, yeah. Well, that's the thing is like in sort of like reevaluating a lot of like the the types from that era, there are like puzzles where it's just like, wait, how are you famous? Like you have like you are an absence of personality. Like you're a vet. Like I don't really understand how Chuck Norris got as like famous as he did because he just seems he he is a beard with like a a, a void behind his eye. So, but then like. You know, you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is genuinely charismatic, however like much you gripe with his politics of being a Republican. He went on to be the governor of California, he may have frightening politics. At least he believes in climate change anyway. So as an actor, 
he like he was charismatic he was fucking really funny mm-hmm. you know like in in his like early comedies <laughs> i can't vouch for jingle all the way and everything you know onward but no. <laughs> you know he he had you know he had this intense drive and he had this like he had this magnetism and like that's the the kind of best of that type of actor like had had a sort of had a charisma and a magnetism and like Jackie Chan has it mm-hmm. and like Bruce Willis, who is a very unconventional action star, you know, like he found a way in with the very humanistic character of John McClane in the diehard movies. Yeah. Um, Keanu Reeves you know, has like, it. Yeah, absolutely. Like he was, he was not someone you would peg as an action star. And he has, he has that sort of like every man, <laughs> that's like wow yeah okay him i don't know there's something there's something about him and uh yeah there's just like now that that type of movie that type of experience that like those icons occupied doesn't really exist and so you know like despite this sort of second gasp of action movies having their like victory lap with like stuff like the expendables which just felt like felt divorced from context it felt like it didn't have any uh relevance outside of nostalgia Mm -hmm. which i think is just like that's a quick death for most things then even though that that lifespan was still a few years it didn't it wasn't ever going to resonate on the level that like movies that are still being kind of like watched today you know like Mm -hmm. the fact that predator 30 years later can get like a sellout crowd almost instantaneously. I mean, granted Arnold Schwarzenegger was there, but like that movie does like it's had other repertory screenings that have been like packed every, every time I've gone. And so like these movies continue to resonate, but it just feels like they're not getting made on the same on an equivalent scale anymore. And so where are these movies living? Mm. They're being relegated to, you know, like, streaming services and video on demand. And we've got two titles that like sort of fit into this, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that like one is brawl in cell block 99, which is Craig Zoller's new movie, who was responsible for one of my favorite films of 2015 bone tomahawk, which was like a movie, uh, a genre movie, a Western of like a scale that was like so impressive to me and, and a vision of a genre movie that was so impressive to me that it was confusing that it was getting the minimalized release it was getting, you know, like came out in a theater here, you know, like I got a chance to see it at a festival. So at least like that screening was sold out and it was very like, you know, it was a rapturous response. I screamed because it's a very intense movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> getting to scream, giving my, you know, fellow moviegoers the unique privilege of hearing me scream. Um, <laughs> I miss that. You're scream. welcome. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so it's it's his new film and it's a um, it's a prison movie, clearly. Uh and it follows Vince Vaughn's character as he, you know, the only way he can provide for his his wife and sort of soon to be born child is to pick back up with uh, drug dealing that he had a life he had left behind. And um, he, he, you know, pretty soon 
gets put back in jail and a, a series of double crosses lands him in a, in a predicament where his, his wife is kidnapped in order to protect her. He has to go into the sort of underbelly of the prison system to act out this mission. And like, you realize he has a particular set of skills in brutality, but mm. like what's really interesting, you know, it's, which isn't new to the sort of the genre that we're talking about is that he is, you know, he is a decent person. Mm-hmm. He is a person who, who genuinely cares for the things that he's committed to, but he has a skill set that is destructive. So, I mean, it's, it's an age-old archetype. Mm. But watching it with the sort of skill level that Craig Zoller brings, and especially in the, the screenwriting, like yeah. it's, it's to hear his dialogue, which is not necessarily uh, realistic, or naturalized like there is a poetry to his dialogue that calls attention to itself but it's just like that level of attention is missing that level of distinctiveness is missing and like and it's also nice to see vince vaughn like in something that that, like like wakes him up Mm -hmm. you know what i mean (laughs) he is a very drowsy personality of lately um and he's a he 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 has that charisma he has that likability Mixed with uh, a, a kind of like weird unlikability, like mm-hmm. he's a dick in a lot of his movies, and so that mixture of decency and dickishness is like a volatile cocktail that I think is like interesting to watch. And like with this, there, like the brutality is very much that it is <laughs> a brutal, brutal movie. And like again, I got to see it in a crowded room, sellout crowd. And um, and hearing that the sort of explosiveness of people's responses to it, mine included, I screamed um, is like that's missing. You know, that that level of kind of involvement um, where everybody's sitting in the dark together and they're reacting to this larger than life thing. Like, you know, it just it doesn't happen as much anymore. And that's it's it's a shame with a movie like this. That's not perfect. You know, it's like it's a it's a flawed movie. Like, I think that what's what's sort of lacking in the film is that like you know with bone tomahawk you kind of had a built-in sort of set design in terms of like it's a period piece it's a western people by and large know what westerns should look like and you can be distinct with how you want that to look in your individual vision but with this it was just like oh huh there's like a a a lack of visual flair that like isn't up to par with the the writing in the movie and the sort of the action segments in the movie. Like those are all like pretty top notch. Hmm. And then there's room for improvement to me. But at the same time, like the movie does deliver. And I like, I was glad I got to see it with a crowd, you know? Yeah. I, I, the, something I would love to understand better is why these two, Craig Zoller movies like aren't getting proper theatrical distribution. I mean, he's literally got famous people in both movies. They're right. They're of a certain quality visually, even, you know, with your issues to sell block 99 visually, like they still belong on a big screen. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah. As you pointed out, um, it's, I, I'm, I'm just curious. I'd love if anybody knows that listens to the show right into us, let us know because I, I just, I'm, I'm curious what's, what's the thinking here. Um, is, is it just a, a sort of concession to the, 
to the flooded marketplace and just saying, let's do the what like a lot of foreign films do is you just do the festival circuit and that's your theatrical run. And then maybe New York and L.A. Because none of his movies, neither of them have come to Portland and Portland's a fairly major like second rung movie city. So um, I'm confused by it. It's unfortunate. But I will say this. Cell Block and uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99 is such uh, a an exciting, visceral, just grimy, down and dirty action movie, a fight movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I I was screaming in my living room. It, it's a it's it yeah. would clearly play better with a crowd to laugh. Absolutely. At these, yeah, to scream and have the laughs the. The communal experience would be great. Seeing it on a big screen with great sound would be great. But this movie is so effective and it's good enough. It was good enough for me that like, well, hell, I'm just glad it's available at least. So I'm okay. I'm not going to knock the the VOD experience on this one because it's um it kind of goes back to what you pointed out earlier is we grew up watching a lot of movies on shitty VHS tapes on bad TVs and the good ones like Predator or Total Recall or, you know, name any other movie that you liked growing up. They rose to the surface because a great movie is just a great movie and it works for you no matter what. That that doesn't mean I don't. My intention is not to undermine the the wonderful uh, you know pleasure and benefit of getting to see some of these on a big screen, but within the reality of like a you know a very busy movie release schedule, it's it's impossible. So uh, you know it's an argument for what VOD can st- like a positive argument for what VOD can be. But again, it's it's a shame because. I wanted yeah. to see this movie in a theater and I didn't even have the choice. I didn't even have the choice. And um, again, I, I just want to know what's going on there. It's, it's, it's too bad because such a visceral badass movie that I think also um, I think strongly evokes a certain era of filmmaking that you and I are quite fond of, of the seventies sort of B movie yeah, aesthetic. Yeah. The antihero as well. Yes. Uh, that, yeah. It does such a good job of evoking that, uh, often with uh, the the throwback soundtrack, which is so good. Every song in Cell Block Ninety Nine is so good. I wanted to I wanted to look up every the soundtrack as soon as it was done. Um, it evokes it in that way, but also just in mo- it updates it to a modern time. And I think maybe that's partially. Maybe this is just me. Um, you know, uh, I'm sort of giving a pass to the visuals. But for me, I actually kind of loved the grimy aesthetic of Cell Block Nine, the drab aesthetic yeah. of the prisons and the the houses the characters lived in. It it actually kind of I thought was on point for the characters we were following. But you know, regardless, um, what the hell's going on? Why can't we see these movies in theaters? It's a damn shame. Well, I think it, it's also like a self fulfilling prophecy in that, like, I think that there's a caution, obviously, just because movies in their making and movies in their distribution are so fucking expensive yeah. that, like. They're like, well, we can't really afford like it's not going to make the money back. So we're just going to put it out in VOD because that's the market that like this exists in now. But with that cautiousness, like people like it, it's seen as a certain I, th- I think there is a sort of marginalization that happens with that where they're like, well, OK, it's not a real movie then. I know a lot like I know right. by and large, like most people who are 
prone to watching movies on demand. Like they, they understand now that like, this is where a certain type of movie can still live and thrive. But like the, there does seem to be a marginalizing quality to it. And then the more actors that you've known, like, you know, like you see Bruce Willis in like movies you've never fucking heard of, like on video on demand. Where you're like, what? Like how he's in a movie with 50 cent that always oh, in eight movies with 50. What the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> and so that that sort of like waters everything down and you get apprehensive about it. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, well, no one's going to go see this. So then people don't go see it, you know, like, yeah. You get to be like Kidnap, which with Halle Berry, you know what I mean? Like mm. I saw billboards for that movie over the summer and I was like, is that movie 10 years old? And they just, this is like a, a area that they don't advertise in. So they haven't <laughs> changed it. Like it looked like a movie that was old, but it was like coming out this year. And like, because there was a sense of like, we're putting it in theaters. I don't think that movie did great, but I think people still went to go see it. You know, it was just like, Here's a movie that's in theaters. Clearly, it's in theaters for a reason. <laughs> see it. Halle Berry, we like her. She's pretty. She's she's charming. She's charismatic. Let's go see her. And so, like, it did, I think, okay. I could be wrong. Please write in and tell us how Kidnap actually did. <laughs> but it's like that that gamble that has to be taken where it's like, you know, clearly, like, the, the level of adoration I saw at the Q&A for Brawl and Cell Block 99 for... Craig Zoller from the cast mm. was just like, everybody believes in what he does. Yeah. Like Vince Vaughn, Jennifer Carpenter, who's also great in this Don Johnson, who's great in it. Like <laughs> they all were just like, we read the scripts. Like I knew I had to work with them as much as possible. And so it's just like, they believe in him and like, they know that it delivers, but it's like how it successfully kind of transcends the limitations of the market at this point is like, it's left to be seen, but it's like, I'm glad that he, like the film is still fighting, you know, it's, it's that I I do. Yes. It's a great argument for like, this is a, this is another evolution in what you're referring to of like straight to video was like the death knell for a movie back in the day. That time, that time It, it, it marked it as something of like, and sure you and I may have still watched those movies, but it was like, Oh yeah, but this is a straight to video movie. It's not real, right? It's not a real movie. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that level of thinking, if you know, sorry to be this blunt about it, but if anybody still thinks that about movies that go straight to video, like I just think that's a really dated old fashioned viewpoint. It's really not that it's not even true anymore. And this is another great example of that. Yeah, it played in a couple theaters. It got its like token theatrical release for whatever reason. But um, this is a straight-to-video movie, and uh, it, you know it's a pretty fucking like fun. Is probably weird again for me to say this about a movie like this, but it is a pretty fun, visceral action fight movie. Um, no, it is fun. Like yeah. it's and it's he he takes like uh, you know. Craig Zoller takes turns in, in the movie and there's just like choices in the writing and in the character development. That's really interesting, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's just like, and it makes for a kind of like loaded dynamic experience, you know, like there's, there's a early on. And when Vince Vaughn gets to prison, he's, he has this like kind of contentious relationship with one of the guards and it's like, Oh, we know where this is going. They're going to fight. But it's like right before their conflict, there's a turn yep. that the guard takes 
that like endears the audience to him before a fucking fight breaks out that's like horrifyingly violent. Yeah. And so you're just like, wait, no, no, no. Oh, what? And so it's like this interesting experience where it's not on rails to sort of deliver uh, just a straight up conventional predictable experience. Like it does deliver the good in terms of like kind of genre payoff, mm-hmm. but it's like it's an interesting, unpredictable experience along the way. It's much more complicated than even those Arnold Schwarzenegger movies that we admire from the past, which were often much more simplistic. You wouldn't have an out of nowhere, like subversion of a character that was built up that you didn't like, you know, that guard character in cell block you want for the first half an hour. You're like, fuck this guy. He's a jerk. And he's messing with the character that we're following. And that moment you speak of is one of those brilliant, really clever subversions that Zoller squeezes in there. And it, it complicates everything that then happens after that. And it's um, pretty amazing that I think that's a skill he has. That's like, he's given you, he can deliver, right? He can deliver on the action, the the type of movie he is making, but he wants to elevate it at the same time and not in a hoity toity, you know, arty way. He just wants to make it better than it has been or just more complex. And I mean, I welcome that all the time, especially when it's, you know, uh, like, if, like, especially when it's delivered and executed so strongly by everybody involved, yeah. um, it's yeah. it's super impressive. So, yeah, yeah. I hope um, this guy gets to get his movies in theaters for God's sakes. Yeah, he's a, well. I mean, he's just a machine. Apparently, he's got a, another one that I think the entire cast from Brawl is all involved with. It's like oh. the something. Uh, put your head on the curb or just something about pavement. Um, <laughs> probably more head stomping. I don't yep. know. It's, it's, scary. <laughs> it's a safe but assumption. That was, yeah. Everybody that's involved in brawl is in this one. And so just to go back to back and to have like a cast that's this committed to director is also really heartening. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully the audience is, is there for, for him, you know, the way we feel like we are, we'll but go, you know, we'll go to bat there's, for him. there's, Hmm? what's that we'll go to bat for him take a baseball bat to him no. um <laughs> uh so in addition to the world of video on demand um there's streaming services like netflix that's premiering movies and like we've got one more one more action title for you that uh in case it slipped through the cracks for you uh it's called Wheelman with frank grillo you know a favorite of mine like I root for Frank Grillo because he he has that spark and that like likability and that that charisma that like we 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 you know moth towards like he's he's the flame and we're the moth and uh he uh he made a a great turn in I think it was the same year with uh Warrior and um The Grey uh where yeah. he was hilarious as like a a very embittered survivor in a you know wilderness setting where he was just like just talking he was basically bill paxton's character from aliens where he was just like <laughs> naysaying all the efforts of everyone around him and i was like i i kind of feel like I, I might be that person i don't know um <laughs> and then he he went on to be one of the saving graces of the purge uh purge part two um yeah purge anarchy uh and so I've just been like rooting for him to have like uh, a real like vehicle, no pun intended, uh, for just to like deliver what we know is sort of like 
works so well about him. Mm-hmm. And so here we have Wheelman, which came out, you know, a couple months after Baby Driver. And it's a another uh, heist getaway driver film. But this one is set over the course of a few hours at night. Um, a lot of double crossing involved. And Frank Grillo is the wheelman, you know, at, mm. at the, the he's the title character. And um, it's it's really interesting. It's a it's a Joe Carnahan produced movie who he was the writer and director of The Gray. Mm-hmm. And um, he, eh, I don't I don't like I've, I will not. You know, Joe Carnahan has a sort of spotty history for me. I have I, the Gray is probably the only one that I'll go to bat for. I like the nar- I like Narc, but I remember you not being a fan of that. Um, I like the opening scene from Narc, and uh, <laughs> it is good. And Buster Rhymes is great. Hell yeah! Narc. But uh, but yeah, Wheelman has this like this propulsion and this like this dark comedy and this like it, it's just got this like really nice cocktail of just like intermingling tones and and just like this urgency and propulsion that makes it a a really unique film you know it's it's got i think it in a review i read before i saw it it was likened more to lock than you know any other sort of getaway driver movie of recent Mm -hmm. uh, you know including drive like it was because it's mostly set in the car with this guy trying to figure out what's happening who double crossed who like where this is all leading and how he can get out of the situation a lot yeah exactly much like Tom Hardy and Locke. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's like, and so again, it's a movie, it's a genre movie with like a, a real sense of like payoff and like intimacy and approachability. The whole world's not on the line, but it is about this dire set of circumstances for this character trying to claw his way out of this like peril that he's lost in. And, uh, yeah, it's darkly funny in a kind of after hours sort of way. And um, yeah, it was just like, it was interesting that, cause it's been kind of a Russian roulette with a lot of the Netflix originals, you know, yeah. like they haven't, like it's been a lot of, this is a new director to me. Um, but like, even with the directors that you and I know, like they haven't all been, you know, sure things like no. they've been, <laughs> they've been kind of, uh, well, you know, whimpering at times. And it's just like, they haven't really paid off in the ways that we wanted to. And so like to have this movie start and like never let up for the 85 minutes it's going, um, and be a, a really genuinely solid vehicle for this actor. I want to see more of and see good things from. It was like, it was a, you know, it was a new experience and it was similar to the one I didn't get a chance to see it in the theaters. It wasn't playing in theaters. It was mm-hmm. just on Netflix. And I was like, I was all in when I watched it. Yeah. And when I, I like it too, as that vehicle for Frank Rillo, because he, I, I like him a lot too. And I, I think he's got a lot to offer as an action star. <clears throat> and I, that's what I remembered liking. It's kind of the only thing I liked about purge anarchy is that mm-hmm. I was like, man, if we could just follow this guy, he's what makes this movie. He's what elevates it. And he's got a sort of beautiful, no nonsense. <clears throat> I'm going to get the job done the right way. Cause it's the right way to do things kind of. And it makes him somewhat similar to the Vince Vaughn character in, in brawl. But um, yeah. yeah, but also um, I like that. 
this is a, a movie that's much more stripped down and simple, whereas Brawl is sort of uh, elongated and complicated and subversive. Like it takes you on different, it takes you in a longer path to get to its like genre elements. This is just pure modern B movie filmmaking. And I think it's done really, really well, like really slick. Uh, I believe the director's name, I'm not familiar with him either, but Jeremy Rush, uh, he's the writer as well. I think this mm-hmm. guy has talent. And if he can elevate my pulse and make me excited to watch a movie like this, that's almost all action driven, like sort of visceral in the moment, um, real time kind of filmmaking. If he can do that on Netflix, on my TV, I I think he's going to go places. And, um, yeah, I, I really, uh, I'm really pulling for, for Grillo as well. And it's just great to see him get probably the best movie to beyond the gray. He is pretty wonderful in the gray. Um, but this is like a perfect leading role for him. And I think even though it's on Netflix, it's, it's a quieter release, I guess all, you know, things being equal. I think enough people, enough people will find this, that it'll lead to more opportunities for him. And maybe he's just going to be that sort of uh, like a Jason Statham, but he, his Mm -hmm. time as he, as he comes, as he comes as an actor that people like him, Frank Grillo, it might just be, it's, it just happens to be in the streaming age. And, I think he could do really well in that in that environment, and I'm looking forward to whatever he does next. But uh, I think what you and I are both saying is people should seek this one out as well. It's a fun little 80 minute B movie. I, I liked it. Yeah, and like this is uh, this is where these these types of films live now, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you know like they'll broaden out. Maybe they'll strike a print of it. And you'll you'll get to see it at the New Beverly sometime. Who knows? <laughs> keep you know, dreaming. It's just like, but you have to you have to keep these these things alive as they sort of occur to you and matter to you because like you know we're we're all looking for signs of 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 hope and strength in an incredibly turbulent time. So uh, you know, heroes. That's right. Where are they? Well, Let's appara- find them. Apparently, there are some. We we have found some in this episode, and that's good. And you know, speaking to that. Uh, kind of a side note, I, I actually think that there is a future where repertory theaters that we're talking about and that we often talk about actually could find, I think, a really cool angle in showing some Netflix only titles or stuff that just goes straight to streaming. Like if, mm-hmm. you know, if people like you and I remember movies that were only released there, like Wheelman, maybe 10 years down the road when, yeah, sure, it's still available on Netflix if it still exists, but maybe maybe enough people in L.A. or Portland or other major cities will want to go to a theater to experience the movie a new way, a way that you never have. I actually think there's real potential there. And also for like, um, I mean, I'd love to see some Master of None episodes, some Aziz Ansari, like his his show for Netflix. Like that's a beautifully cinematic show. I'd like to see some of those <clears throat> episodes on screen. I'd like to see. Uh, some some episodes of the recent Twin Peaks on a big screen. I, th- I think there's real there's a real opportunity that could come up down the road. Um, but of course, we need to you know keep going to these rep theaters if we care about them, uh, so they can do it if that opportunity comes on comes down the road. So um, those are some other heroes, right, Joe? The the people that are that are working for these theaters, at least the ones that aren't shitheads uh, that have done terrible things. <laughs> it's true because <laughs> yeah. they're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, and like I think that the the sort of the community and the people that like love film, like you know, they the, they'll keep the theaters alive and running, you know, and they're they're heroes as well. That's right, beautiful, Joe. All right, why don't we wrap up this uh, 
uh, this episode of Adjust Your Tracking. What do you say? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So episode 158 of Adjust Your Tracking, that's what this has just been. Uh, you can find, well, actually, before I point you where to, uh, you know, sort of closing up the show, I just wanted to say that um, an article that was on my mind as we were brewing this podcast and this discussion um, off mic is just something I wanted to point people to. Um, first off, there was a New York Times article that came out yesterday, Sunday, uh, and it was about separating the art from an art from the artist. And I thought it was a, a, a well done article, but uh, you know, I just wanted to point people to uh, probably our best writer at the playlist.net, our home for this podcast uh, is Jessica Kiang. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with her writing, Joe, but um, she's not only on the playlist, but she writes for variety and little white lies. She's, she's our true pro. Um, and she wrote an article more than a year ago uh, and it had to do with sort of the fallout of Mel Gibson being up for Oscars and Casey Affleck and um, Nate Parker, that whole controversy with the birth of a nation. And her yeah. article is called why we have to separate the art from the artist and why we can't. And it's on the playlist.net. Just search for it there or do a Google search for it. I think this article, she Jessica was on to this whole thing before any of even the New York times was ready to kind of go forward with these ideas and really push it. And, um, it's a hell of a read. And like a lot of Jessica's writing, it's just like, um, a joy to actually just read her words, but, um, she's on point, man. And it's a really great article. So I think, um, if people want more, you know, to, if people want to go further down this rabbit hole, I think that's a great place to start. Um, so I suggest you do that. Um, and uh, that would be very cool. Um, you can find our episodes, now that I'm going to wrap it up here properly, you can find all our episodes on theplaylist.net. Um, you can find all our episodes there and all of uh, the other shows that we have on the podcast network. Uh, just click on the podcast tab there. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, um, under the playlist podcast. And you can email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. But what about, uh, what, about, what about the social media world, Joe? Hey, um, what about uh, Twitter? You know, at Adjust Your Track. Come check us out there. Um, we're, we, Eric, you're tweeting a little bit more. Um, I am. F- if I'm feeling mouthy, I might get on there as well. Or Facebook, <laughs> if you want to tell your grandparents where to look for a new podcast. Um, hey, we'll take them. Uh, we'll take li- yeah. any listeners. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure they understand what a podcast is yet, <laughs> but um, yeah, tell them to look up Adjust Your Tracking and we'll be there. Joe, you should start tweeting occasionally because it'd be funny. Nobody will know who is talking. Is it Joe mm-hmm. or is it Eric? We'll have to start labeling it, but maybe we should just be coy. It could be interesting. Yeah. Um, who? Who? <laughs> who is saying this? Um, yeah. So, you know, if you do any of that, we'd be very thankful. Before I thank you, though, Joe, I'm going to call it. I think Black Panther, the Ryan Coogler movie, the Marvel movie you referenced earlier, I'm calling uh-huh. it, man. It's going to be a big fucking hit. Cause it comes out in February, I think. And that's that dead time at, at big cinemas. That one's mm-hmm. going to be huge. And, uh, I think, I think we're going to also have to call it. It's going to be the first Marvel movie we're going to review. I think since the Avengers movie and probably the only one really worth doing. So, uh, I think we're going to have to talk about that movie, Joe prepare. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> uh, God damn it. I'm excited for a Marvel movie. Why? <laughs> Cause it's Coogler. And it's uh, Ryan. <laughs> it's a lot of like it's a lot of incredible people. Mm-hmm. They have a run the jewel song on the trailer, so I mean mm-hmm. they really knew how to dial it in for me to be interested. They're they're after that Jovan Oppen secret sauce, and they found it, I guess. 
they need my 17 plus dollars. That's what I'm paying here. (laughs) Jesus. Well, you can't be thankful when you have to fork over that much money to see a movie. But damn it, Joe, I'm thankful to just get to chat with you today. Thanks, Eric.